not all national or international nonprofits started that way. What can we learn about scaling up from a grassroots nonprofit? Hi, I'm Bill Stanjakevich. This is the first day from the fundraising school, and I'm joined today by Dr. David King. He leads the Lake Institute on Faith and Giving at the Indiana University Lilly Family School of Philanthropy. David has a new book about an international nonprofit that is interesting in and of itself, a very fascinating story, but also an important takeaway for all of us in the philanthropic sector where we hear so often, how can I scale up? David, thanks so much for being with us. First of all, what's the title of your book and what's it about? Yeah, the title is God's Internationalist, World Vision in the Age of Evangelical Humanitarianism. And that's a history, a story of world vision, which started in 1950, the, the dream of one, uh, one man uh, as he traveled overseas uh, out of his back pocket. And now it's grown to basically uh, 100 countries, 40,000 employees, 2 billion uh, in annual uh, expenses. Uh, and World Vision is known as what's one of the leading international relief and development organizations. To tell their story is to tell some interesting stories, I think, about faith-based nonprofits and just the growth of nonprofits in particular. So if you're interested in organizations like World Vision that works closely with the United Nations, other humanitarian organizations, we hear about them in the news, uh, you know, when different natural disasters hit and things of that nature, this is an excellent book in and of itself. But we want to lift out this particular angle for nonprofits because, David, we teach about 6,000 people in the fundraising school every year. And so many people say, I need to fundraise more because I want to scale up. I have something successful here and I need to grow from my neighborhood to my entire city, from my city to my entire state, from my state to the entire nation. We get that question all the time. What lessons do we see from World Vision, which you said started in the imagination of one man back around 1950 and now is known literally across the planet? Well, I think one, uh, one lesson might be to know our limitations. So Ooh. that one man uh, didn't stay with the organization. By 20 years in, he was called to start another organization. Uh, and he wanted to maybe to continue to grow and, and operate out of his back pocket. Uh, for those of us who are starting something that's our passion project and we want to scale that up and we've been successful, we might have to think about who do we need to bring around us? How do we establish and professionalize maybe some of the practices what kind of board do we need to bring around us with those different types of expertise, with those various networks to allow us to scale up? And so I would, uh, I would never want to dampen anybody's uh, dreams about growing, but I think growing um, uh, in a responsible way to bring the people around you that have the different sets of expertises that you would need as you grow is an essential part of the process and one that World Vision learned, I would say, in some ways, the hard way over time. And, you know, it's interesting. David says we need to know our limitations. One of the most important words of leadership is no. Maybe you're not supposed to scale up. And again, we don't want to squelch your dreams, your visions, if you're seeing that kind of positive momentum. But for every world vision, there are numerous nonprofits that tried to scale up and were not successful. So again, that's a good first piece of wisdom is to, to know your limitations. Then what about in terms of fundraising? You know, did the founder have one idea of where his revenue should come from? Is that different now than how World Vision approaches their fundraising and what happened in between? Yeah, I mean, World Vision is a great story here about a fundraising mechanism that has sort of taken over um, many of these agencies. It's child sponsorship. So World Vision was really one of the very first child sponsorship agencies. Uh, and that's grown over 60, almost 70 years now. And they're, they're rethinking this every day. Uh, partly it's to think about how the fundraising practice maybe matches or uh, doesn't match the work that's being done on the ground. This was a conversation World Vision had for a number of years because in some sense matching a sponsor, oftentimes from the West, with uh, with a child in need in other parts of the world, was a 
was a masterful fundraising technique to make that one-on-one -on -one relationship connection, but maybe didn't communicate the type of development work that was happening on the ground to think about bringing those indigenous leaders alongside. So think about how the fundraising and marketing side of the house with a nonprofit is communicating to the frontline staff, the service um, staff, and the constituents that are maybe receiving those services. So that's one lesson. Think about how that changes over time. But the thing I think World Vision has succeeded uh, beyond measure is having that relational fundraising uh, connection. So it's oftentimes through media. They were one of the first to use radio. Mm. And then they moved away from working through local faith communities and, and broadcasting at a national level through um, films and then through television, sort of the first maybe infomercials. Uh, they were the first to move from television into the various internet platforms today. So what I've seen them do over time is while they have uh, succeeded with one key method, child sponsorship, they haven't uh, rested with that one technique and they've continued to um, evolve and grow and I would say their success has most often been attributed to their ability to fundraise on the uh, front lines, not just with major gifts, but with sort of more grassroots $40 a month sponsors. Mm -hmm. So having that diversity of donors has been key for them. David, I, I'd li like you to help us understand this concept of diversity of donors. And of course, we want all nonprofits to hold true to their values, not have mission drift, not chase the money. It's something we teach often at the fundraising school. But what differences over time have you seen with World Vision that maybe with the founder and his early board that they thought their prospective donor fit a certain definition, probably very closely aligned with their understanding of religious faith, how did that change over time? Have, has World Vision stayed there? Uh, because when I think about radio ads and television ads and internet and these things that you mentioned, uh, the viewers could be people who share their religious faith and also not. Uh, so what, do, what have you seen in terms of World Vision holding onto their values but maybe expanding who could be a potential donor? Yeah, I think this is a question that's it's really important for most organizations. I, I, in the World Vision story, for, it was really about religious identity. And, and that narrow identity it had a very, very narrow evangelical tradition mm -hmm. that it came out of, and that expanded over time. And so while in the United States, they still, the majority of their donor base would fall into that sort of born-again tradition. They had people from across faith traditions or no faith tradition. Uh, I think they were masterful over time, um, and this wasn't something everybody would agree on. And they might be criticized from one side for doing it, and in-house it, it, it was a conversation that was happening where they weren't falling away from their identity, they weren't uh, drifting from their mission and their core values, but they were open with their language, oftentimes not being restrictive with words that oftentimes may be coded as a particular tradition. Mm -hmm. They would still use kind of Christian language and they might appeal to um, language that would be tied to maybe Jesus in the Gospels or feeding or helping the least of these. Mm -hmm. uh, language that people can connect to, but wasn't restrictive. And I think most of the time they led with um, the services that they could provide, the partnerships that they were developing, and the particular people that, that were being helped and served. And so they put a focus less on the language that oftentimes maybe closed off in boundaries and put it on what was actually happening. And whether you were of that faith, tr faith tradition or not, to see someone who was in need and you knew that you could help them with that $40, uh, it was oftentimes quite uh, compelling to a donor. 
And while staying true to our values, the, you know, a couple of uh, interesting examples from World Vision that shows how they expanded uh, in terms of who could be a potential donor or potential staff member, one of their most recent CEOs, while holding a similar you know, view in terms of faith tradition, did not come out of central casting. He had led a large private sector corporation before coming to World Vision. And we also know that World Vision has relationships with national governments and with the United Nations. And that might not have been in the founder's first vision. So again, these are some examples of how they've tried to hold true to their values and their mission unapologetically like any nonprofit should, but then also try to expand and cross some lines of distinction to find people who would share the work that they're doing. And a variety of diversity uh, of revenue streams. So for instance, uh, they, they, like most of us, have, um, and we've seen this from our own research at the School of Philanthropy, there are uh, lower percentages of donor households in America. So that average giver, um, it makes up a smaller percentage of World Vision's overall revenue that comes in through fundraising. So they have a major gift strategy that they didn't have before. They have corporate relations. They have a lot of donated goods from pharmaceutical companies mm. and others, as well as major partnerships with the Gates Foundation, with United Nations World Food Program, with USAID and other relief and development government and international organizations. They often do this through partnerships as well. And so I think for any nonprofit who's trying to scale, you don't have to do it all. You might have a particular niche that can then partner with an organization on the ground uh, and scale up by partnership instead of having to do it all on your own as well. So certainly know your limitations. Maybe scaling up is for you, but maybe scaling up is not. And even if it is, your limitations help you uh, find other partners, folks you can collaborate with, even prospective donors who might not uh, share exactly your worldview, but certainly can align with your values and your results on the ground. Some very important lessons from this book. David, again, help us know the title of the book, uh, which is a fascinating story in and of itself, plus lessons that all of us can learn in the philanthropic sector. What is the name of the book? How can I obtain a copy and learn more? Yeah, God's Internationalist, World Vision, and the Age of Evangelical Humanitarianism. So if you just um, search for God's Internationalist, maybe World Vision, Amazon, or anywhere good books are uh, sold, you could find it there. Uh, just Google that and, and you'll find a number of pieces I've been able to write the last few months that sort of engage some of these questions for nonprofits and faith leaders as well. And there is information about David's book and David's research and that of his colleagues on our website at philanthropy.iupui.edu. If you go to the uh, Institutes tab across the top toolbar, you'll see the pull down menu and you'll see Lake Institute on Faith and Giving. All of the Institute's resources are available there, including some of David's writings on this book. Right next to that is the Professional Development tab. That's where you find the Fundraising School. And we have our courses around the country. We bring custom training around the world. We have quarterly webinars and, of course, these free podcasts. Again, that website, philanthropy.iupui.edu. With Dr. David King, I'm Bill Stanjakevich, and now you are now more up to date on this first day from the Fundraising School. Thank you.